Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon. Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Uh, let me begin by saying that I hope everybody is staying safe and well. You all know the slogan, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. And uh, obviously, uh, that's kind of changed the nature of the Kermode on Film podcast. We had a few that Jack and I had recorded together before the lockdown happened. And we had some uh, recordings of live shows, the MK3 live, MK3D live shows, which, of course, like everything else, are currently on hiatus for the foreseeable future. I am going to be doing some more podcasts with uh, Jack Howard because due to the miracle of the internet it is possible to record a conversation with me here in Hampshire and him up in London and so we will have some more uh, conversational podcasts coming up uh, in the very near future. However, I wanted to do something slightly different for this podcast. I'm recording this uh, at home, alone in my what passes for my office. It's actually a, a broom cupboard. I live in a very nice part of Hampshire. I'm really lucky. I've got um, a window that looks out on a, on a small garden, so it's possible to get out of the house. Um, and I've been here, like everybody else has been at home for, uh, is it three weeks now? It feels like about three weeks. I'm starting to lose track of time. And I've been broadcasting from here. I've been doing the um, the Kermode and Mayo show on Radio 5 with Simon is uh, in his house in London and I'm here and then our producer is somewhere else. And due to the miracle of internet technology, which I'll be honest, I don't really understand. We managed to have, uh, you know, conversations that then turned into a radio show. In fact, in the, in the last couple of shows, we even managed to get in guests from, uh, from around the world. So, hey, the internet is a great thing. But one of the things I've been thinking about is something I touched upon uh, the last time I spoke uh, with Jack Howard, which is to do with... Um, the fact that I'm not going to screenings at the moment, like everybody else, uh, I'm at home, I'm not going to screenings. And I was starting to think more and more about how important it was to be in screenings with other people. And I had a couple of conversations with people who said, well, you know, you're always going on about uh, how people should behave in the cinema and how, you know, your ideal cinema is empty so that you can just watch the film un uninterrupted by, by popcorn and, you know, the sound of people on their mobile phones and all that sort of stuff. And I've really started to realise recently how much I miss the company of other people in cinemas. And I just wanted to say a few things about that because it, it's something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment. So forgive me for this kind of uh, autobiographical diversion. When I was a kid, one of the things that I used to do as often as possible was to go to the cinema. My first memory of going to the cinema was being taken by my mum to see Krakatoa, East of Java. Um, I'd seen films before that, but I don't, I don't have specific memories of the screenings, but I was taken to see that film. Java, 
And it was a huge part of my life because it was such an extraordinary experience. You know, I remember, um, you know, boats and action and romance and volcanoes and, and, and balloons and, you know, hot air balloons. Anyway, years later, I, I wrote a book um, called It's Only a Movie, in which I wrote about my memory of seeing Krakatoa East of Java in the cinema. And I hadn't seen it since I'd seen it as a kid. And I, I managed to get a, a DVD of it. And I was terrified watching it because it's one of those things I hadn't seen it in like 40 years, maybe even longer. And I didn't know whether it would stand up or indeed whether how I remembered it would be would be right. And then when I watched the film, it was very different how I remembered it. But there were certain things in it that I did remember. But the main thing that I remembered was the experience of being in the cinema, watching it, of sitting there you know, with my mouth open, watching this unbelievable spectacle unfold on screen. Um, years later, uh, I, I interviewed Steven Spielberg, and I'm not making a comparison between me and Steven Spielberg because everybody's had the same experience, but he talked about being taken to the cinema to see The Greatest Show on Earth, which he thought he was going to a circus, and he was crushingly disappointed when it turned out to be a film. And then the film turned out to feature this extraordinary uh, train crash in it this spectacle of this train crash and he was suddenly swept away and he thought this is what i want to do i want to spend the rest of my life in the cinema well i had a similar experience with uh Krakatoa east of java i mean the difference is steven spielberg went on to be steven spielberg and i went on to be that annoying bloke who goes on about the exorcist all the time doesn't matter the experience was the same but what i remembered was the thing about sitting in the cinema and sitting in the cinema with a group of other people everybody else watching the film and having that experience at the same time as the years went on i started taking myself to the cinema and i would go every saturday and sunday to see uh, a movie it was a number of cinemas around where i grew up i grew up in north london uh, in, in north finchley and I, I had a bike, like everybody else had a bike, and I could get to five or six different cinemas, either by bike or by bus. There was the Odeon Hendon, the Odeon High Barnet, there was the Gaumont in North Finchley, which is the most beautiful, was the most beautiful building, not, you know, no longer, unfortunately. There was the Rex in East Finchley, which subsequently became the Phoenix in East Finchley. You probably know one of my favourite, uh, one of my favourite cinemas, years later when they were doing renovations, and I was doing a talk there, and there was some wet concrete out outside it and i put my handprints in the concrete and asked them they didn't seem to mind but it was fine and i put my handprints in the concrete as i had grown up watching uh, reruns of old ealing comedies in that cinema and they used to do these double bills of ealing comedies during half terms hmm. i thought perhaps before you've all become too absorbed you and your guests might like a cup of tea oh you shouldn't you know professor you didn't tell me the truth about yourself and these other gentlemen. And then there was um, the Ionic in Golders Green and the ABC in Golders Green and the Classic in Hendon, and all these different cinemas. I could get to all of them pretty pretty easily. And cinema programmes used to change on a Sunday, so you could go to the same cinema on Saturday and Sunday and see different films. And I would basically go and see everything that I could see, everything that was a U or an A certificate. Um, at some point in my life, it changed. Originally, an A certificate film, you had to go in with a with an accompanying uh, parent or guardian, which was really strange because what it actually meant was if you went to see one of those films on your own, you had to wait around outside the cinema and ask somebody if you could go in with them. And I know this sounds really, really, really strange and dangerous now, but it's just how it was back then, you know weird um anyway so i would go to the cinema and i would go on my own 
a lot. Occasionally I would go with a friend, but most of the time I would go on my own because I would go to see anything. I didn't care what it was as long as I was allowed in. And so my memory for most of my childhood was being in a cinema on my own with a group of other people, the other people being the other people in the cinema. And I've been thinking a lot about what that means to be on your own in a group of people, because, you know, I was I was there in my own company. I I know this will sound obvious to a lot of people, but I actually perfectly enjoyed my own company. My ideal thing was to go on my own to the cinema and then, you know, cycle back afterwards thinking about the movie. But an important part of it was being in the cinema with other people. I didn't talk to them. I didn't know most of them or any of them. But it was just the thing about being in a group and having a shared experience. I remember once when I went to the Hendon Odeon and I saw a reissue of Ben-Hur and it had an interval in the middle of it. I think I wrote about this in a book. And in the in the middle of the film, when they had the interval and you came out to buy chocolate raisins or whatever it was that they had in those little poppets boxes back then. And during the interval, which was like 15 minutes long, there was an older guy. I mean, obviously everybody was older than me. I was like 10 or something. Um, there was an older guy who I just started having a conversation with about the film. And he said, God, it's amazing, isn't it? It's, you know, it's the same. Uh, you know, that it, I recognise it. It's the same. And, and I sort of went, well, it's a film. They don't change. And he went, no, no, the print. I recognise the print. And this is a print that had been doing the rounds for a bit. And I, he recognised the print that we were watching. I remember sim- uh, similarly talking once to Mike Bradsall, who was uh, Ken Russell's editor, and he talked about seeing, um, when we found the missing footage of the Devils, he talked about seeing the physical edits in the film and recognising the edits. Anyway, it was just an odd little conversation, nice conversation, then I went back and watched the rest of the film on my own in a group of people. And actually, that then became a really important part of my life when i got a little bit older i would go to late night uh, screenings late night double bills that's pretty much where i got to see all the movies that ended up being the most important to me the horror films so i would go to what was then the phoenix they would have um late night double bills i would go to the scala which is in king's cross which i think is where and a lot of people who lived in london actually people from outside because people would come to london for their all-night screenings would watch a selection of movies, cult movies, foreign movies, movies programmed in strange kind of groupings, you know, like like a kid's cartoon and then a really, really freaky horror movie. And of course, this was where Steve Woolley was first sowing the seeds of what then became his extraordinary film career as a, as a film producer. And at those late night screenings, there was a phenomenon which was kind of odd but now seems very familiar to me i would go to those screenings and i would see the same people over and over again we wouldn't really talk to each other i mean occasionally we'd sort of nod in acknowledgement but the screenings would start you know 10 30 at night or something and they wouldn't finish till two in the morning and uh, this often this was after public transport finished you had to walk home or you know cycle home or whatever and uh, you know sometimes there were buses but late night buses kind of came later to as far as i remember anyway you'd see these people and you'd recognize them even if you didn't recognize them you'd recognize a kindred spirit because if you turned up at 11 o'clock 
to watch a double bill of Eraserhead and The Loveless, you kind of knew that the other people in the audience were sort of in the same ballpark as you were. And it was the same thing, like if you go to the Scala and they'd be showing Thundercrack or something, you knew that the people who were going to see that film were interested in the same cinema that you were interested in. And I remember going to see late night uh, screenings of The Possession of Joel Delaney, of course, Devil's Exorcist, Don't Look Now, all the Cronenbergs, you know, Scanners. Um, I remember seeing... Uh, I remember seeing shivers on a late night thing. I think actually I saw scanners. I think I think the first time I saw scanners was actually in an ordinary screening because it must have been. Yeah, I saw scanners at the ABC Edgware on a Saturday afternoon. And then the Cronenbergs that I saw at the late nights were shivers and the brood and rabid. These were the films that you'd see in those late night screenings. Anyway, in all of these screenings, You'd go there and there would be other people there and you would watch the film with them, but you wouldn't necessarily talk to them. Actually, you probably wouldn't talk to them. I and mean, one thing I have discovered over the years about being a horror fan is that we're not perhaps the most socially adept people. You can't, you know, you can't characterize all horror fans as one thing, but it is definitely true. I mean, I, you know, I wrote for Fangoria for years. And I've met enough horror fans in my life and there is something about us as a group that, uh, you know, we're not the most immediately uh, socially fluid and, and, uh, and adept people. That's, that's perfectly fine, or at least in my experience anyway. I'm sure there are exceptions. And I started thinking about how that relates to the experience that I have now of going to see movies in screening rooms with other critics obviously i'm not doing that at the moment what i'm doing is i'm sitting at home and watching the movies on links on uh, you know on my television at home and i make a big thing about you know making sure the movie is watched properly from beginning to end you know sit down set it all up get the ratio right all that stuff start the film and don't interrupt it don't fiddle around on your phone watch the thing from beginning to end you know, kind of reproduce that theatrical experience. And it's not the same. And the reason it's not the same is because I'm not sitting in a room with a group of other people watching the same film at the same time. As a critic for the, you know, for the national newspapers, for a weekly film critic, and I, I do the radio show and I do the, the Observer newspaper, every Monday and Tuesday I sit in a room with the same group of people and we watch the movies that are released that Friday. So on Monday, you'll watch a film at nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, one o'clock, three o'clock, you know, sometimes one at six o'clock. So you watch four or five films uh, in a day. And there are in the room generally the same group of people. There's Simran Hans and uh, Wendy Ide from The Observer. There's uh, Linda Marrick and there's Van Connor and there's Pete Bradshaw. And these are faces that you just, you know, you see and there's Alan Frank. You, you, these are faces that you see week in, week out. And we talk a little, but not much, to be honest, because we're all, you know, getting about our business. And one of the things that critics tend not to do is to come out of a film and immediately discuss or critique it because the thing is that's what they've got to do professionally so f firstly i think probably they're letting the film settle down but also you don't want to come straight out and tell everyone else what you think because well hey they you know they might <laughs> that might inspire their review i mean frankly no one's ever going to listen to what i think and think oh, that's a good thing to say but you understand the general principle 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So I'm doing this same thing now that I always used to do when I was younger, which is going to a screening on my own. I mean, I live in Hampshire. So to get to the screenings in London, I travel two hours. I, I leave home usually 5.30 in the morning and I get into uh, London just before uh, 8 o'clock. And then the screenings will start at 9. But I, because of, I'm on a tr- train, I need to make sure that if the train's delayed or something, I'm not going to miss the beginning of the screening. So then I walk from Waterloo or I get the tube from Waterloo into uh, the West End, and then I turn up at the screening room, and then I watch the films, and we go from one screening room to the next, and we kind of talk a little bit, but not a whole bunch, to be honest. And then we all go home. So what's the difference between that and just being able to wake up in the morning, not have the two hours of travelling? Just sit down in your front room, you know, get the link set up to your television watch the film i mean i've got a perfectly nice television it's probably not the biggest television anyone's got but it's perfectly fine and my living room is very comfortable and you know i i don't have to worry about other people making a noise or checking their mobile phones or eating popcorn but it's not the same and the reason it's not the same is because all those people that i've been sitting in a room with for the last however many years it is that i've been doing this is more years than i care to count they're not there and it's not that when I'm in the room with them, I can hear them. I mean, if it's a comedy, you know, you can people laughing. And if it's a horror film, you can hear people screaming. And if it's a drama, you can sometimes kind of get the reaction of the room. But it's just that they're not there. And I'm watching the film on my own. I'm not watching it with a group of people. And I've become really conscious during this uh, recent uh, lockdown, which I support entirely, you know, absolutely stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. Absolutely. But one of the things that it's done is made me really conscious of how much I miss the experience of watching a film in a room with other people. And it's also made me start to think that having been somebody who's over the years been so grumpy about behavior in cinemas and and i know a lot of a lot of people share this opinion that you know you go and see a movie and then the people talking and yada 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 i think that i may have softened even on that front i think that at the moment my feeling is what i wouldn't give to sit in a room with a noisy cinema audience so why is it that that's important 
I think the answer is twofold. Firstly, there is just something about the communal experience of watching the same thing with a group of people you don't know. And it's not to do with talking to them. It's not to do with discussing and critiquing the film, as Kinderman would say. It's just to do with the experience of a shared experience. It's like when you go to a gig, um, you know, you, you, you see a band play a song that you could have listened to at home on a, you know, pitch perfect cd sound system or vinyl or whatever it is no no you don't do that you go to a concert hall and you stand in a room with thousands of other people and you watch them play the song live why well partly it's you want to see the people play the music but partly it's because you want to be in the room with a bunch of other people seeing them play the music when led zeppelin did that um reunion gig a couple of years ago not a couple of years ago many years ago but some years ago and all the tickets went in like five seconds flat and i went online to try and get tickets the minute it was, i think like the tickets went on sale at nine o'clock and you had to just keep hitting refresh you know I mean, you, you all will have experience with this you go onto the site and you hit refresh 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 and somehow i got through the process i got two tickets and then it was a whole complicated thing that you had to bring, uh, you know, ID, and then you had to go and get the tickets in advance. It was at the O2, and I don't live in London, so you had to go into the O2 with your passport and the passport of the person you were going with. And, I mean, it was a right old palaver. And then, uh, you know, a week later or so, we saw Led Zeppelin. We saw Led Zeppelin performing the songs that I have heard Led Zeppelin perform perfectly brilliantly on record. But I saw them doing it live. And part of it was that they were there doing it live. And part of it was that I was in a crowd with a bunch of other people I have never met before, all of whom were thrillingly involved with watching this happen. There was a guy standing behind me who every time Jimmy Page moved to put on another guitar, he'd say what song it was going to be, because he knew which guitar Jimmy Page used for which song. I'm sure many people do. I, it never occurred to me that, oh, he's put that guitar on, therefore he's going to do this. And that was actually really exciting. Some people would have found it annoying. I thought, found it rather charming. And uh, it was funny, because he was, he was right. I mean, they played for two hours or so, and he, was, he got every single one right. Have you ever heard of... Insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. I wrote once about the experience of um, watching the fly in the uh, Odeon Oxford Road in Manchester and hearing somebody else laugh when david cronenberg turned up on stage and no turned up on screen pardon me and and it being like ships signaling each other in fog because i knew that there was somebody else in the room who knew what david cronenberg looked like this is the age before the internet who knew what david cronenberg looked like and had chuckled as i had at him making a cameo appearance like a hitchcock cameo in his own film and i don't know who that person was we never met each other but there was this weird like i said ships signaling each other in fog that experience of the shared experience is really important the other thing i think is that there is something about the the magic of film 
and I used to write a lot about the magic of celluloid. I'm still really fascinated by celluloid. I do these screenings at the plaza in Truro, these 35mm screenings because they've got a 35mm projector and, you know, you need to keep these things running and it's great because, you know, digital's brilliant and everything, but why throw the baby out with the bathwater? And I remember writing about the, the kind of almost alchemical magic of light passing through celluloid and then spilling onto a screen and how the um, apparition then appears it's like a kind of old ghost trick and bear in mind that cinema begins in uh, you know in the fairground in magic lanterns in the creation of apparitions apparently one of the first things that was asked when the moving image was captured on film was well can it can it bring the dead back and meaning if you film somebody after they're dead will the image still seem to be alive so cinema was tied up with a kind of magical slightly dangerous alchemy and that whole thing ties it to a kind of you know what other people would think of as a religious experience i wrote a book about shawshank redemption and i am I talked about the the way in which Shawshank Redemption uses the idea of a cinema as a church. The idea that that key sequence is when they're all watching um, Gilda together. And we went to the... I did a documentary about Shawshank and I, I visited the the, 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 it's the prison in the, in, in the film. We went to all the places where in the prison where they shot that sequence. And one of the things that you don't really notice in the film is that when they're showing the film that all the prisoners are watching and they have this experience together is the the door that opens in the wall for the projector to shine through there's actually a painting of christ and the door opens up in in the in his heart and you can't really see it on the film but it's there i mean i've seen it in the, in the flesh and it's like oh okay this is interesting this is actually tying together my whole idea about in this particular film cinema and church are being sort of mixed up together ah, wait 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 here she comes this is the part i really like this when she does that shit with her hair oh yeah i know i've seen it three times this month ah. gilda are you decent and again there's that thing about having it as a communal experience now i know that the future of film distribution is almost certainly going to be very very heavily skewed towards home viewing and i think that what's happening with the current lockdown is that people who have been late to get on board with home streaming and i would include myself in that are making a change because they've discovered that it is possible to watch movies at home and it is possible to find a you know great number of movies and the distributors are changing their practices so you know trolls world tour recently it went you know direct to streaming services and everyone's paying great attention to how that will do financially and it looks like everyone is thinking about home viewing as the new form of distribution and i'm sure it will be a great and wonderful thing but it won't replace cinema. And the reason it won't replace cinema, in my opinion, is because there is still a need and a desire to watch films with other people in a, in a room or you know, a space with other people. I, I have this absolute certainty that when uh, the current crisis is past, when, it's, when we're all through it, you know, as Tom Hanks said, you know, this too shall pass and it shall, as long as we all... You know, obey the rules, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. That when the time finally comes to open the doors to the cinemas again, that people will flock to them. 
I don't think that what's happening with the home viewing revolution is going to change that because I think that people now are just as desperate for that communal experience of watching a film together as they always were. Cinemas are having a really hard time at the moment because that no one knows how long this closure is going to last for. Cinemas are expensive things to run. You know, they're expensive buildings, there are staff. It, it's, a, it's a huge undertaking running a cinema. And for cinemas to be dark for as long as they have to be under these circumstances, that's very tough. And I've said before, if you have a, uh, an art house cinema, an independent cinema that you, you particularly love and treasure, then let them know. You know, maybe go to their Facebook page and leave them a message or... If there's a membership you can buy, you know, now is a time to do it because the financial support would be great. Just let them know how much you appreciate them. Because when this is all finished and when this is all through, we will, I think, all flock back to the cinemas. And it will be the same as it was when I went to see Krakatoa East of Java with my mum all those years ago. Part of it will be the film and the volcanoes and the balloons and the, the ships. And part of it, part of it, will just be the thing of being in the cinema and thinking, I'm home. Sullivan, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Well, there we are. Thanks for listening to this very rambling uh, Kermode on Film podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined again by Jack Howard for an altogether more upbeat and sparky discussion. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe and tell your friends. And also, please do go to our Patreon page. There are loads of uh, behind-the-scenes extras there. There's some uh, videos, some that I've shot here in my uh, in my house. One that I shot in the kitchen, showing you how I'm recording the uh, the uh, the news channel uh, program. There's there's also a video of me and Jack Howard doing our most recent discussion when we were discussing uh, the films of Steven Soderbergh. We're putting more stuff up there all the time. If you like the sound of the MK3D live show, obviously those are suspended for the moment. We're going to try and find other ways of, uh, of keeping the MK3D thing going in a virtual sense until such time as we're all able to be together again at the uh, BFI South Bank. But do visit the Patreon page. As I said, tell your friends and stay home stay safe protect the nhs and save lives thank you Truly hydrated skin, Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O S E A Malibu.com code SUMMER.